Pulp MX Network production. A cerebral and experienced look into the racing action from the week that was. This is Industry Seating with Jason Thomas. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Concept Coatings Design Co., Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. It is Monday, January 15th, 2024, and we witnessed the San Francisco Supercross to return to San Francisco, and I wish I could say that it was awesome. A uh, little conflicted, because I did enjoy being in San Francisco. We haven't been there in a long time, and I, I know it's challenged. There's big homeless problems and a lot of businesses have left. I, I get all that. And I witnessed it firsthand this weekend for the first time in a long time. But I do like there, there are a lot of uh, great qualities about that town. The weather's typically awesome. That was also not the case this weekend, but um, you know, just being on the Bay and Golden Gate Bridge and there's, there's a lot to like about San Francisco even with all of the the things that many people don't like too. And, and I'm, very acutely aware of both of those dynamics kind of running into each other. I will say on Thursday when I was at in San Francisco, it was unbelievably gorgeous, uh, a little chilly, but just amazing outside. Uh, so that was, that was really nice. It kind of at least gave me a touch of what I remember great about San Francisco. And then the rest of the weekend, it just rained the whole damn time. I was soaked. My feet were frozen. That's my own fault. Um, but yeah, you just hope like we haven't been to San Francisco for a race since 2010. You know, we made, made the move to Oakland in 2011. Thankfully we got out of there and I was just hoping for a great weekend, a smooth weekend. So it would reinforce uh, the need to be in San Francisco and we'd go back there. And now after all the challenges and the costs and the cleanup, I don't know. I don't know that we're going back there, which is, uh, that's a bummer. I don't know what they'll do next year. Um, I'm not saying we're not going back, but that was, uh, that was tough for everybody. And I can't even imagine how expensive it was on the, uh, on the back end of that to, to, with all the cleanup that they had to go through. want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, as we always do, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Concept Coatings Design Co., Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, TL Speed Shop, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them for being on board and on the team for 2024. So let's talk about dirt bikes. That's why you're here. I know you're not here to listen to sponsor reads. I get it. But we are here to talk about the race, and we're certainly going to do that. In the 250 class, you know, it's – I, I – feel the same way you do, right? For as many, I'm sure most of you do. Mud races are kind of boring. Um, it's just not as exciting. You know, we all love the sport. That's why we're watching. That's why you're listening to the show. That's why we do the things that we do. But it's it's hard to get as excited about a mud race as you typically would for any other race. And, and I'm no different than that. But our job on the broadcast team is to create hype, create excitement, make everybody entertained and be engaged in what's going on. Because there are big 
consequences, you know, people live and die with the sport, the riders, this is all they do, you know? So I understand for outsiders or even people that are involved to think, you know, it's just, it's just dirt bikes. Like it's not the end of the world. Okay. Fair enough. You're not wrong, but it is really important to, to people that are involved in the sport. And for the riders, it is, it is live and die, you know, not, I know that's hyperbole, but it's all that they do It's their whole life's work. It means everything. And just because it's muddy and not as entertaining doesn't mean it's any less important. And so I try to, whether it's this podcast or on the, on the television broadcast, treat it with the respect and the regard that it deserves. Uh, because just because it's raining outside doesn't mean that it's it, anything else changes as far as the season or the amount of money at stake or the careers that are on the line as well. So in the 250 class, what do we see? We saw the red plate change hands. Jordan Smith, who has now gone 2-1 across two races, which is very, very positive development for Jordan Smith. And remember, this was a guy that, had he not crashed in 2017 in Las Vegas, is likely the, the champion that year. You know, the, that was the race that uh, Zach Osborne came back and passed Joey Sabachi, knocked him down in the last corner, second to last corner, I should say. What is underreported on is that if Jordan Smith doesn't crash on the second lap, he wins that easily. He wins that title going away because he was up front with the leaders and would have been able to just cruise, you know, like no problem. He would have taken that title. So since then, it's really just been a cavalcade of injuries for Jordan Smith. And now he's back to winning form again. He's the healthiest he's been. And we're going to see if he can make good on it. Now, I don't know, nor, nor do you. Can he do it? Can he stay upright? You know, that's been the problem is the crashes and the inconsistency. And I will be fair and say, I didn't see this coming. I didn't think he would be this good. You know, we've seen flashes of it just like we did last year, but this seems like his best chance. And and I still have RJ as the, as the favorite, but Jordan looks great and he deserves a ton of credit. He's a really nice guy. He's been through a, a lot. You know, you look at the adversity he's had to overcome to get back here and it's hard not to root for him on some level. I think you know, I don't think there are many people that are Jordan Smith haters. You know, why would you unless you're just some diehard Hayden Deegan fan that just can't get over what went on last year? I don't see a reason to not cheer for Jordan Smith. Um, so, so be it. Good for him. Uh, Levi Kitchen almost got there. And I don't know. I haven't watched the race back, but I don't know how close it looked on television. But I'm telling you, with two corners to go, he was on Jordan Smith's rear tire. And it all happened really fast. Jordan got caught up with a couple lappers, didn't really know that Levi was there. And then all of a sudden he went from four or five seconds down to on his tire. And if Jordan had screwed up, made a mistake in the last turn, Levi could have stolen a win there and it would have been unreal to have, uh, you know, defeat uh, grass from the jaws of victory or however, however you want to use that cliche. Uh, it was damn close to going really sideways really fast for Jordan. And Levi almost almost got it done. But he still got second. That's uh, three, two scores for Levi Kitchen to start the season. He has to be happy with that. Uh, and Levi's an interesting one because he he's really transparent up on the podium. And I, I think I mentioned this before, but I, I love that. Like he comes up there and he's talking about his bike. And everybody else, the 450 guys too, like they just stand there and wait for their interview. Uh, Levi, and I don't know if it's just me, um, but I, I appreciate that. Like he just wants to talk and he's like, man, this and that and the track and the bike and 
Um, it's cool for me because I learned something from him and I get to speak with him and, and I know he's excited. Uh, it's just atypical, I guess is my point. Most guys don't do that. And maybe that's just something that changes over time. If he goes on to be a, you know, a week 450 guy and he's on the podium every week, that will go away. But for now, it is a, it's a cool development to, uh, to have that small talk while we're kind of waiting up there because there's a lot of waiting. We're like standing there, they're going through highlights and all the things that you're watching on the television screen. I'm just standing there awkwardly with the rider, kind of counting them down to when we're going to go live. Uh, Garrett Marchbanks, what a, what a ride. And he got Phil Nicoletti on the last lap. And I know a lot of people were bummed. They wanted to see Phil get the podium. Of course, I did too. But if you weren't able to see Marchbanks, and, and again, I haven't watched this back yet, he was going for it on the last lap. I mean, wide open, clutch held in, 14,000 RPM. It was insane. It was all I could hear was him just wide open anywhere that, you know, what, where he was within earshot of me trying to get around Phil to get to the podium and he, and he got it done. So kudos to him. You know, he is rebuilding his career race by race here and it's been a tough go. You know, last summer was really a breakout and he's carried that momentum into this year. And uh, so I'm happy for him. It's, it's not that common to see somebody start at the top, like go straight to factory. He wins Daytona in 2020 and then basically fall off the radar, right? Just complete. Like I think Mitch Payton kind of gave up on him probably for good reason. I'm not blaming Mitch and, you know, I gave him every opportunity. It's very rare to see someone claw back out of that depth and get back to the level that Garrett's at. So good for him. Nice work. That doesn't, none of that comes without a ton of hard work and, you know, perseverance and all the, all the positive things that you have to, you know, to do to get back there. And you can see, you can see the uh, the results of that paying off. You saw it last summer, and you're seeing it here again. So nice job from uh, from Garrett there. And then oh, Phil. I mean, we got to talk about him, right? He, uh, I mean, that's a great ride. You know, we were talking on the review pod about whether is it heartbreak or not. I'm absolutely not. Fourth place in the main event is a, an awesome ride. And if you want to say, man, he was so close. You're right. He was so close. But that should not, to me, that should not be the overriding theme. The overriding theme should be, what a great job by Phil. What a bounce back after a real letdown at A1 with the motorcycle. This was a great performance. Everybody should be over the moon happy for Phil. Not, don't let the disappointment of missing the podium on the last lap be the theme. I, I don't think that's fair. That would be that would be a disservice to how well he rode, in my opinion. Uh, RJ Hampshire is the last 250 guy I wanted to kind of touch on. Other than the DNF guys of uh, Shimoda and Bolin, that's not their fault, but it certainly kills them in the points. But RJ, yeah, we were worried about this, right? And I wasn't so much worried about being the mud. That's just kind of this outlier thing. I was more worried about a night like this where he just crashes a couple times and gives a bunch of points back. But in the end, it's the same thing. Uh, he goes from your red plate holder to now being nine points down. And that's not catastrophic. You know, nothing that can't be undone. It's just not how he wanted to be sitting after round two. You know, he had so much momentum and excitement and everything was going his way after the Anaheim win. And then now it kind of comes back down to reality a little bit, but maybe it refocuses him, you know, maybe instead of just being on top of the world, he kind of has to walk back in a little bit and say, yeah, this, if I'm going to win this thing, I have to go earn it. You know, it's not going to come as easy as it did 
uh, at Anaheim. So we'll see. He's the only one that can determine. You know, I, I always kind of live by the philosophy of things are going to happen to you. Uh, there's always going to be hard things that sometimes you can't control and you're going to face these difficult challenges. That's just life. But I think how you respond to those things, how you pick yourself up off the ground and you respond really defines you. And it, it's no different. Everybody has things that they're facing, right? Most of the time, you don't know what people are facing. And, and I always, you know, I've talked about it on this podcast before. I, I am a big believer in being kind to people because they're probably facing things that you don't know about. It's no different for all of us, right? And now it's a little bit more clear for RJ. You know, he, we saw this crash and now he's got to kind of get it together again. And, and he's got to prove that he can overcome things to get what he wants to get, right? So this is a little bit different. I know it's racing and a lot of people are dealing things with their personal life. But for RJ, the challenge is clear. You know, things look really easy and now they're not so easy. So are you going to respond and go out and win in San Diego and kind of reset everybody's expectations say no no that you know that was a mud race and we we're going to go right back to where we were when it was dry i'm going to you know i'm going to be exactly who you thought i was now the question is if it rains in san diego which it's saying it might do we get more of the same i don't know right it's it's not doesn't mean rj can't ride in the mud he just didn't get a good start and he crashed that that happens so um anyway i just think it's an interesting change now where rj went from kind of the favorite in my opinion to top of the mountain in Anaheim and now he's got to kind of reset and refocus and walk back in and go go chase the points back down but I have a feeling this 250 class is going to be a little bit of a roller coaster anyway just a lot of really good guys that have been notoriously inconsistent over the course of their career so that typically leads to parity and a lot of lead changes and unpredictable results and we're kind of already seeing that so uh, I don't I don't see why we would get anything different than what we expected and what we're already receiving. The 450 class um, we will jump right into, but I do want to mention a couple things from these sponsors. Uh, Pirelli had Dylan Ferrandis, and Dylan is off to an incredible start. We'll talk about him in the power rankings, but he is a Pirelli sponsored rider, and they are doing great things. I think Pirelli has the best mud tires in the game. And Dylan certainly put those to good use uh, in San Francisco, winning that heat race, first heat win of his career. And uh, you can say it's coincidence. Sure. I think there's a little bit more to it. Um, I think he got to choose everybody that he wanted to work with. And he chose Pirelli for a reason. Guts Racing, check out all their great products from e-bikes to dirt bikes, graphics, seat covers, you name it, they have it. Custom graphics, whatever you can dream up, uh, Guts Racing can bring it to you. Plum Creek funding rates have come down a little bit. That helps. Um, if you want to uh, check out, or maybe you have to buy something. Like I talked to somebody the other day. They have to buy a house. They don't have a choice. They're getting relocated for work. They don't get the the privilege of just sitting back and waiting for rates to come down. So if you have a situation like that, reach out to Zach Morris. Uh, he has licensing partners in a bunch of states. I'm trying to think. It's uh, Idaho now, Arizona, Colorado, uh, California. Texas and maybe Florida. Um, I think those are the ones I'm going from memory, but uh, he can help with a lot of different people. And the cool thing is if you're not in one of those states, just ask him questions. He's going to help you. And maybe he has a licensed friend in your state anyway, that he can pair you up with and get you really, really good advice. So reach out to Zach at Plum Creek Funding. Concept Coatings Design Co. They have their shop up and running in Southern California. 
They're also still trying to hire a full-time mechanic to be in the shop and a full-time uh, uh, painter, like a spray painter, right, for uh, frames and everything that they're coding. Um, so reach out to Concept Coatings Design Co. Uh, you want to reach out to Benji over there is, is leading the team. And they're up and running. So they have their shop in Perth, Australia, and they also have their shop um, just outside Temecula in California. So really cool program they've got there. If you're a privateer rider and looking for a home base, they have uh, mechanic shop bays all set up. You can have your home base there. That's where Kevin Moran's is all set up right now. And if you want to get Cerakote parts, anodized, anything custom engraved, they have every capability for that as well. So check those guys out. Really, really great group of people. And I'm, I'm super proud to be, uh, to be involved with Benji and the team over there. Uh, TL Speed Shop, Wickenburg, Arizona. Trophy trucks, side-by-sides, uh, whether it's a corporate event or uh, you just want to get out of town with your buddies for the weekend, you can fly in and just go rip around in side-by-sides. What's more fun than that? So check out TL Speed Shop and Jason Cobb and his team. Great, great... Uh, it's a great thing they have going on over there. It's a lot of fun, right? A lot of these are companies with products to sell. This one, TL Speed Shop, just all about fun. ProGlow Wash, uh, Power Sports Space Wash. Why would you go buy something that's not built for motorcycles or power sports? I don't understand that, right? Like, I get it. Okay, maybe some generic wash is available at Walgreens. Okay, cool. But get something that's built for what you're doing. It's custom formulated to get all the grime and chain lube and all the crap that is all over your bike that's yeah, these over-the-counter washes that you buy at a grocery store are not built for that. They're built to, I don't even know what they're built for, clean household items. You know, that's just not what, uh, that's not the idea here. So check out ProGlow Wash. And, and of, of course, and what goes with all these companies or brands, these are all moto people. That's why they're sponsoring this podcast. Why would you choose to not work with a, a moto company? Like-minded people all trying to work towards the same goals. Works Connection. They have a brand new KX450 skid plate. Check that out. Go to worksconnection.com at worksconnection on Instagram. That just dropped this week. Uh, So check that out. If you don't have a skid plate, the biggest fear is what? You go riding, you hit a rock, and you crack your cases. I've done it. I've done it before. It's not great. It's a really, really expensive ordeal over nothing, right? Like Especially if you're an off-road rider, like trail rider. We have tons of rocks on our trails in Idaho. And that's like the number one fear is you just, you're just climbing. You're not even doing anything crazy and you just catch a rock run and now your cases are garbage. And yeah, now you've got a $2,000 problem on your hands. Who else do we got here? Grantstone Boots, best boots and shoes in the game. Check out grantstoneshoes.com. Get yourself some of those. I actually need to order a belt. Uh, they have belts, wallets, all sorts of things. So check them out. Uh, what a great company that have, they've been with me from the very, very beginning. Pirelli and Grandstone have been here from the jump. So thank you to both of them. And then Fire Racing, can't leave them out. That's where I'm at right now. I'm at the office. So thanks for listening to those. Let's do the power rankings. Top 10, and there'll be some honorable mentions as we always do. Uh, but at number 10, and these are going to be a little skewed because some of these guys showed up some of them didn't but jorge prado makes his first appearance into the power rankings with a heat race win and you don't often see like true joy and jubilation in riders over like a heat race it it, you know like they're excited whatever but like they were freaking out which was so cool to see his family his girlfriend his sister they were all just losing their minds you could see what it meant and i love moments like that uh because 
usually everyone's so guarded and, you know, they just don't really let their guard down. And uh, there was none of that. Uh, you could just see smiling from ear to ear. So good for Jorge Prado. He back set up with a top 10 finish in the main event. I believe he got seventh. And, of course, the mud helped. We know that. I'm not – I'll be the first one to say the mud was the biggest factor there. But so what? Mud's a part of racing. And if you're going to pretend it doesn't matter, guess what? It does. Chase Sexton would love to tell you all about his weekend because of how the mud went for him. Uh, so good job to Jorge Prado and welcome to the power rankings. Somebody should ask him, hey, you made the power rankings. What do you think? And just look at the confused look on his or see the confused look on his face. Number nine, Justin Barsha did not have a good weekend and it was not his fault. He was incredibly sick. Uh, I am not even sure what he was sick with. I don't know that they know, but uh, yeah, no energy, had a rash, virus, could bear. I, they didn't think he was going to race, um, but he kind of held it together and got out there and did what he could. Um, so hopefully he heals this week and uh, can kind of get back on the right track because if it rains in San Diego, these are opportunities to perform, to get a good result, make a lot of money. Um, we all know how capable he is in the mud. So to miss out on mud opportunities for him would be, uh, I don't say tragic. That's it's a little bit too much. That's, I think it's not tragic, right? Tragic tragedies are, are something far worse, but it would be a missed opportunity for Justin. I know he would be bummed to not be his best when he gets a mud race or two. Uh, number eight is Aaron Plessinger. And I don't know necessarily why, I have him at eight. That's it's really not fair because if you look at his results, he's gone four or five. Like, how do I have him at eight? I don't know. I I truly don't have a good answer for you, but I guess it's just from body of work last year, outdoors, and then I just the people in front of him. I don't I don't know what to do with it. Um, and and if you start to hear the names in front of him, I guess. You can understand it, but I'm not happy with myself having him at eight. I'm, I'm really not, but I don't, I don't know how else to do it. The only person that I could see putting switching would be Ferrandis, and Ferrandis is going to be seven. But Ferrandis, you look at all of his podiums last summer, and then you look at how strong he started this year. I, I don't. That's the only one I could do. So if you really wanted to make a case for flipping those two. I guess we could. And, and Ferrandis' summer last year is the reason I have him ahead because I do try to make it a little bit big picture with these things. So I guess it, they should probably be both like 7.5 um, because for AP to go 4.5 to open the season, he, he truly deserves better. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, AP. You don't deserve to be eight. You deserve better. It's just a tough – it's a tough setup right now. Speaking of Ferrandis, I already kind of talked about him. Taking those Pirelli tires to – Great finishes, winning the heat race. That kind of probably gave him the nod over AP. But AP was your fastest qualifier, so I don't know. I, you can tell how conflicted I am with these two. Thankfully, it doesn't mean anything. Um, but both of them have gotten off to great starts in, uh, in 2024. Number six, Jason Anderson. He's not a mud guy. Let's be clear. That's not hard to, to tell. Um, so, yeah, not a good result. But I didn't expect a good result. I do expect him when we get dry again to show me what he showed me at A1, and I think we'll get it. So I have him at six, knowing kind of what's under the hood for Jason Anderson. And once we get past these mud races, I think he's going to be a solid top five guy again. 
And I'm not going to let one mud race completely throw off what I saw at A1 and what I know he's, he's capable of. I just know what he has to bring to the table when things are going well. Number five, Cooper Webb. Kind of same thing. He's not a mud guy. He was going for it. Like, he was trying really hard. Uh, I think he was trying to just make the most of it and be like, I, I've got to figure this mud thing out and perform. We've seen him do okay in the mud before. Uh, but, it, yeah, it wasn't his best night. It wasn't, you know, a, a horrific outing either, uh, but it's just not his forte. He's not his best in the mud. So I have him at five, and uh, he's he's given away a few points here, but thankfully for him, Jet didn't have a good night. Um, but, yeah, other than that, there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of positive for take, to take away for Webb uh, in San Francisco. Number four, Ken Roxon. Kenny got on the podium, and I think he would have been on the podium in Anaheim had he not crashed on the start. He looks great. Uh, he just looked comfortable. You know, all the things that I was worried about in 2023, he looked robotic on the bike. He looked uncomfortable. He didn't look confident in anything himself or the motorcycle. That's all gone now. He looks different than he did on the Honda, but great, if that makes sense. I don't know if he'll ever look like he did on the Honda because he the bike is just a different motorcycle. It's really small and nimble, and he has this incredible style that I don't know that many – if anyone can replicate, I have not seen that from Kenny, but he does look good again. And that's something I couldn't say for most of 2023. So I like the way he's shaped up here. Doesn't mean he's going to be champ. You know, we've talked about this to our blue in the face about him winning a title. Um, but I really do like this version of Kenny here in 2024. Number three, Eli Tomac. Back on the podium, uh, and I think this weather was exactly what he needed. I don't think he has his top-end speed yet. I don't think, you know, on a dry racetrack for 21 minutes, he can match Jet Lawrence or maybe even Anderson, those guys, yet. That is it. The key word there is yet. I think he'll get it back. I just think it takes time, and, and I've lived this. I talked to Justin Brayton about it on Race Day Live. It's the hardest part of your game to get back to fitness comes back, you know, you have muscle memory and all those things, but the ability to ride on the edge and sustain that and just sit there right on the edge of your peak performance and be your best self. That takes a long time to work back up to, you know, you just don't, you don't snap your fingers and get that stuff back. That's like peak male performance. And at the, you're talking about the level that Eli Tomac can get to. It's going to take a minute. That's I firmly believe that. And for anybody to expect him to just be there after riding for two months, you have, you know, it's not that they're wrong. I just don't think that they've lived it. And I lived it, you know, I've gotten hurt plenty of times and you feel good. You're practicing at the practice track. You're like, oh man, I'm, I'm back. Like I, I'm right back to where I was. And then you show up against the best guys in the world and you're like, I'm, I'm nowhere near where I used to be. Right. I have a lot of work ahead of me because you underestimate all of the momentum and you just get stronger and faster and stronger and fitter and your body is just growing and you know you're building this really strong fitness foundation that you take for granted until you don't have it anymore so tomac will get it back it's i'm, I'm telling you he's gonna get it back if he stays healthy i just don't think it's quite there yet number two as you can imagine is chase sexton he gets back on top Winning the main event, he will have that red plate again going into San Diego, which I'm sure he's very excited about. And, I mean, he dominated the race, but 
holy crap, that start. Um, I'm still not quite sure. You know, he, t- he told us that he saw the gate flinch and he just dumped the clutch. It it's, could be true. I don't, I'm not calling him a liar. I'm absolutely not. But I don't know that I necessarily agree. Um, I, I don't know if he was counting or he heard the hydraulics. Sometimes you can hear the hydraulics, the air hiss, and some guys dump the clutch when they hear that because that is the signal that the gate's going to drop. So I don't know. Um, I'm the jury's still out for me on that. Maybe we'll get more insight. I was giving Steve a hard time because he's like, I don't, you know, like I'm not calling him a liar, but I don't believe him. And I'm like, well, if he told you something and you don't believe him, that's the definition of calling him a liar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I, I know you don't want to offend him. I'm just saying that's literally the definition of it. But at the same time, maybe he had he's on to something. He doesn't want to give his secrets away, which is what Steve was alluding to with the gamesmanship. Um, you know, in that case, it's always I think it's always a problem if you make something up that you know to not be true because you can't ever go back on it at that point. You can't. You know, he could have just said, "I just got lucky with the timing," and then he's not lying. But when you say that you saw something flinch and you went. You can't ever come back and say, well, yeah, you know what? That race, I had the timing dialed in. I knew they were going on a hard count of five, and I just went. Then you definitely lied. So it's it's a little problematic to to give something if he wasn't, if that wasn't the case. And maybe he, maybe he was as transparent as can be, and that's exactly what happened. We just don't know, or I just don't know anyway. But I can tell you that's one of the best starts I've ever seen. I don't think you can do it any better than that, period. Doesn't mean you can't match that. You know, I've seen guys guess at the timing and get it right. We've seen Michael Wesley do that over the years, but I don't think you can do it any better. Uh, that's the most perfectly executed start I've ever seen, or at least on par with what I've ever seen. So kudos to him. Kudos to a great race. I don't want to say no mistakes because there were plenty of mistakes, but he was firmly in charge of the race the whole time. You know, other than Tomac closing down the lead a, bit, a little bit, there was the race was never really in question. And he needed that. He needed to get a win. Uh, I don't think it like cures his confidence thing because it was a dry race and we all know the mud is not what Anaheim was. So he's still going to have to go out and prove he can just straight up beat Jet. But make no mistake, when he came around and lapped Jet, that felt good for him. No matter what, that that felt good for a guy who has gotten beat up by Jet for the better part of a year now. End of story. You know, all summer long, partially through SMX and Anaheim one jet has been kicking his butt. There's no other way to put it, you know, and I don't mean that harshly towards, towards chase. That's just what the reality has been. And I am a huge chase Sexton fan. He really earned my respect over the last couple of years as a person and as a rider, but we have to be realistic and say jets really taking it to him over the, you know, ever since he's got on a four fifty. So that, there's no way you could convince me he wasn't smiling inside his helmet when he put Jet a lap down. But number one, Jet retains the top spot, and I think he should. Uh, one mud race is not going to deter me off of what I've seen for seven months. It's just not, and I don't think it should you either. Jet is still the guy to beat. Everyone knows it. And what if we get another mud race in San Diego, and Jet doesn't do that well? I'm not gonna. That's not going to change my mind just because of the mud. Like we don't race mud every weekend. We haven't, we don't, we have maybe what one or two mud races a year. If that maybe sometimes zero. So 
until someone steps up on a dry race and just takes it to jet, I'm going to leave him here and, and without any hesitation. And I think he's earned that. When you look, he goes undefeated in his first year. He wins SMX World Championship his first year. Comes off of all the titles in the 250 class. Like He's the number one rider in the world right now, in my opinion. And someone has to go in and dethrone that in a neutral environment on a dry track. And just, it'll happen eventually, I, I think. I think. It doesn't mean it's going to be sustained and stay that way. But someone's going to go in and beat him one time. Right, it could be Tomac, it could be Sexton, it could be lots of different guys. I think are capable of it, but I won't even hesitate as to leaving Jet Number One until I at least see that. And then it's probably going to have to be something that's sustained for me to take Jet out of the top spot. So, kudos to Jet. You are still my number one ranked rider in the world, bar none. Jet Lawrence. So that's it for this week. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We will be off to San Diego, and again, there's a over 50% chance of rain in San Diego on Saturday. So maybe we get the same dynamic. I don't think so. I bet we get more of the track is covered and then they uncover it. Maybe we get some rain. Maybe it's a little ruddy. Maybe it's a little muddy, but I I don't think we'll get the quagmire that we got in San Francisco. At least I hope not. That would suck. Do you imagine two weekends in a row of that? God, the poor teams. And that's one thing that I wanted to note here, the cost associated with a mud race like that. Most people don't talk about it. It is brutal. You basically have to start over on the motorcycle. You ruined everything. Uh, and those, those, you know, they have budgets for these parts and everything. It's really, really expensive for everybody involved to have a mud race on that level. Think about the privateers. Their bikes are junk. So they have to go out and buy all new parts. You know, like you can't trust anything when it got, when your engine got that hot and all your electronics are melting and wet and you just can't trust the motorcycle anymore. So you have to replace everything. That is an extremely expensive uh, enterprise. And it, it happens. We all know. We have to, you expect it. You just hope that you can get away without it. And you hope that it only happens one time in a year at the most. And to have it happen on the second race of the year, now you're opening yourself up to multiple occurrences of this, which is the problem, right? You know, if this happens late in the year, you're like, ah, well, we're probably going to be good. This will be the one. But when it's the second race, now you have to dodge every other race the rest of the year. And that's pretty unlikely when it happens this early. So that's that's the kind of financial side of the sport, the economics of it that most people don't think about. Uh, but I can promise you, like I mentioned it in a group text with a bunch of industry people and like a bunch of people chimed in right away. Like, oh my God, it's so bad. Like it was so expensive for us this weekend and nobody's really thinking about it. But it's all, you know, these people are decision makers and team managers and things. And it was like the first thing they're like, that's all I can think about is how much this race costs for all of us to uh, to go through. So anyway, not that it matters, but um, it's just another wrinkle to the sport that's probably not talked about enough. Thanks again. We will talk to you next weekend. See you.